This is Entrepreneur Radio. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. What is Entrepreneur Radio? Well, we are dedicated to inspiring you, you the leaders of today and tomorrow, with real-life stories, the trials and tribulations and triumphs of entrepreneurs that have achieved their dreams. That could be, should be you. It for sure is my friend Steve Sims, founder of Bluefish. And you're saying to yourself, what the hell is Bluefish? Well, Steve is the visionary founder of Bluefish, the world's first luxury concierge that delivers the highest level of personalized travel, transportation, and cutting-edge entertainment services to corporate executives, celebrities, professional athletes, and other discerning individuals interested in living the life to its fullest. I think I got that pretty right, right, Steve? I think it was quite cute. I'm not quite sure it summarizes <laughs> what we do, but it's good enough. You wrote it! What are you, you wrote, I got it from you! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you are such a good man. It, this guy is so funny. I have no idea how he has done what he has done because he's just one of us. He's just a regular guy. He's just a workaday Steve in this case. But, I mean, things like visiting the International Space Station, taking a submarine trip to visit the Titanic, becoming James Bond for a weekend in Monte Carlo. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And he has made all these things happen. And uh, what did you do before all this? I mean, you and I have talked before on the radio, but I can't remember. What did you do before Bluefish? Oh, God, you're trying to lose all credibility now. I was a doorman at a dodgy nightclub in Hong Kong. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's so funny. And now, everybody, uh, the reason why he's on the show today, not I mean, many reasons, but one, because I like him, but two, because he has a brand new book coming out. It's actually available now online. Where? Where can they find it now, by the way? Well, it's in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all okay. the usual suspects, but uh, stevedsims.com is the website where you can find all the links. Okay. The book is called Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, and it goes on sale October 17th, so you'll, be, you'll find it at bookstores there. But now, right now, Steve D. Sims, we don't know what the D stands for, D, uh, stevedsims.com. Now, first of all, you are a wild man. He and I are friends on Facebook. You guys check out his Facebook page. He First of all, he wears blue jeans and a black T-shirt pretty much all the time. He does not look good in a suit, so probably fittingly so that he wears a black T-shirt and rides many motorcycles, living the life that you want the way you want to, right? I do what I do. I do what I do. How do you tell the world about what you do? I mean, I've seen you on TV. I mean, you've been on, you know, podcasts here and there. You've been, you know, the different magazines that talk about business people. But how does the regular world find you and Bluefish when you're not being showcased in some way like this? Oh, God. Well, we, we're very fortunate. We get a lot of media and a lot of attention. We get some of our clients every now and then just drop our name and bang, all of a sudden, that's another article. But we tend to get involved in some pretty cool events. So we've done work at the Vatican, took over a museum a couple of years ago and threw a dinner party and had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade the guests. And we partner every year with this uh, really cool guy called Sir Elton John um, <laughs> for the largest A-list Oscar party every year. So really, people have to know someone that knows us. If you look at our website, 
there's no phone number. There's no way of contacting us. So you've really got to be introduced to us. And that's how we've grown. You talk about a referral-based business. We are we're the epitome of a referral-based business. Now, what is the website for Bluefish? TheBluefish.com. TheBluefish.com. Okay, because I didn't give that out. I wasn't sure. All I have is Steve D. We don't know what D stands for. Steve D. Sims.com. S-I-M-S. <laughs> we'll keep doing that, by the way. You know, I'm looking like- at all the stuff you, you, you guys, uh, you know, help people do, and it's like it, it has no beginning and it has no end. It's, it just is everything that is cool on the planet Earth. What was the first thing you did that gave you the aha moment? You know, I don't think I don't know if we had aha moments until we'd already completed ten or twenty things, and then we suddenly thought to ourselves, "Hang on a minute, we're doing some cool." <laughs> shit. But I remember being in Hong Kong, and a guy saying to me that he wanted to go to the Monaco Grand Prix. Now he's talking to me, yeah, you know, while I was in Hong Kong, and as I say, starting to move from doorman to planning clubs and parties. And he said to me, um, "I want to go to Monaco, and I want to do this thing." And I was like, "I can help you." You know, and I've always been a great believer from the old school. If you say you can, keep your word. Yeah. Bottom line, even if it ends up costing you money, because you can get more money, but you can't get your word back. So, I remember saying to this guy, "Yeah, I can do that." And then going home, and this was in the this was in the nineties before we had a thing called uh, the internet. Right. In the nineties, trying to work out where the bloody hell Monaco was, <laughs> um, and I pulled it off. And the more stuff I seemed to pull off. Then that connectivity, people would go, oh, I hear you did this for Johnny. I hear you right. did this for Viral. Patricia. Word of mouth. Yeah, and I was, yep. all, I was gone. All right, hang and, tight. And then, hold still, hold still. I want to talk more about all this stuff. And then we're going to talk about the Bluefish. Uh, Bluefish art, the art of making things happen. His new book. He is the Bluefish. Steve Sims, this is Entrepreneur Radio. We'll be right back. We're talking with Steve Sims, the world's first luxury concierge service. You want to do anything in this world, this guy, Steve Sims, Steve D. Sims, can help you do it. We don't know what the D stands for, dot com. Uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve and I became friends. We met, uh, I don't know, at some, some crazy event and... Uh, uh, would you hit it off? Matter of fact, we did a business and burgers with him. You guys should check that out. Businessandburgers.com. Noodle around. There's about 40 different people we interviewed. Steve was one of them. And uh, very, very interesting. So, but now a brand new book out. Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Tell us, tell us about the book for a moment. Well, quite simply, a lot of people had always interviewed me about the world of luxury and doing the fantastical and then there was a shift about seven years ago when they said, look, we want you to go on stage or we want to interview you, but not on what you did. Can you start telling us how you did it? So quite simply, we started looking at the stuff I had done, taking out the big name of where it was and putting it into key steps that said, look, I did this at the Vatican, but you know, you can do this for X. And so basically started breaking it down to a, do what you need to do for the dummies. Just a very simple guidebook to making things happen from communication, branding, building up relationships, marketing, strategy, becoming unique. We just tore it down to what it is I do, a bricklayer from East London, to what I do now. 
Isn't that interesting? You know, my brother says to me, my brother's in real estate, and I'm I'm making an offer on a building, and I said, uh, here's the deal. It's I know it's commercial building. I want to borrow X dollars and put down X dollars. He goes, oh, no, that's not going to work. He said, uh, commercial, they only loan, you know, like uh, 75%, so you got to put 25% down. I said, I don't want to put 25%. He says, that's what. Then you're going to have to go get private money. He says, you know, don't even bother. He says, you're going to make yourself look like an idiot. And I thought to myself, and I love my brother, and he loves me, but I thought, whenever somebody tells me that, you're, you know, you can't do this, it won't work, you're going to look like an idiot, I always think, is there a way to do this, whatever this may be, without looking like an idiot? Is there a possibility that a door could open if I am myself and just give it a try? All you have to do is knock sometimes and simply ask the question. Yep. So guess what? I got the call from the banker today, and I told him what I wanted to do, and he goes, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I said, wait a minute. My brother said you would never do it. He says, well, he goes, your, your brother is right. He says, but you know what? We, we can bend the rules. I thought to myself, they bend the rules for who they want to bend the rules. Don't you think, Steve? I think the rules there are just nothing more than great guidelines. Yeah, uh, that's I don't right. Think that's about, I don't think that's to be banked on or just followed so dramatically as most people do. I think the the us in the world, we create our own rules. That's right. That's right. And we're not afraid of bending the rules, and we're not even afraid of asking someone to bend the rules. Now, we're not rude about it, because then you don't, you know, you, what does it say? You get more bees with honey than vinegar, right? So, but I do believe, and I haven't read your book yet because it's brand new. It's not even coming out until October 17th. But <laughs> I believe in knowing you that it is what my dad calls chutzpah. You have chutzpah. You have something that is special and people want to work with you. How do you teach that to people? That's the biggest question is how do you help people to ignite that flame, to give them courage, to give them character, to let that stuff show that we all have, and a lot of people have it hidden down inside, but you have somehow tapped into it. You have it all the time. Every one of your posts make me smile. I want you to know that. Every one of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate true. that. I was actually in a bar a while ago, and we were, um, which is a big surprise there, but having a bunch of whiskeys, and this guy turned around to me, and he went, oh, you're a great motivator. And I said to him, no, I'm not. I'm an activator. <laughs> and I just believe that we can all do it. There's no excuse when you look at me. You can do it. You just have to activate rather than just sit there going, woohoo, that sounds great. I'll get back to you. <laughs> well, then you know what? It ain't going to happen for that guy. Everybody, we're talking with Steve Sims. Bluefish, check him out at stevedsims.com. He's got a brand new book out, Bluefishing the Art of Making Things Happen. And maybe we'll get a little lesson from him on the other side. This is Entrepreneur Radio. Oh, wow, man. That's a Wait a second, man. What do you think the teacher's going to look like this year? Listening to Entrepreneur Radio. I'm Alan Taylor, speaking with uh, Steve Sims, founder of Bluefish. His brand new book coming out. It's available at his website, stevedsims.com. S I M S. Sims, S I M S. Real easy. Uh, Bluefishing, the art of making things happen. He's selling, uh, he has one quart, one quart jars of chutzpah. Nobody knows what it is, but he'll sell you a quart. 
It'll help you get things done. <laughs> or maybe it's a pint. I don't know. Maybe you sell it in the pints. All right. So I wanted to ask Steve. So during the commercial break, I want to ask him, give us two things that we can take away from today's conversation. And he gives me two things. You ready for this, everybody? Email is dead. Thing number one. Vampires. Thing number two. Email is dead. Steve, go. Bottom line of it is, everyone, the, the new phallic symbol out there is how big your email database is. And everyone walks around going, oh, I've got 10,000 subscribers. They don't realize that when you send out a list of 10,000, it's only about 200 people that are actually getting it and even less reading it. So you want to go where there are no noises. You want to try phoning them. Video texting is brilliant. Sending letters, direct mail is king once again because there's no post actually landing in your post box unless it's to tell you about carpet cleaning or the new Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so I do try to educate a lot of people that pretend email is dead and look at other strategies to get your voice out there. Whew. Much better ROI, and it's a communication godsend. All right. Now, I'll tell you what. My friend Brian Buffini, who has Buffini and uh, Associates, he has a podcast too, the Brian Buffini podcast. He says that he sends a handwritten note to every person he does business with. And I'll tell you what, every time I've done anything with him, I get a handwritten note, and I love it. I love it. I love it. So I think you're right. What's old is new again. Thing number two, yep. vampires. What the hell? Yeah. I'm a great believer that there's energy in the world. You have a great deal of energy, but there's people in there that are just not your people. And they're the naysayers. They're the negatives. They're the neginoras. The trouble is, when you try to deal with these people, you change your persona, you change your energy level to try and connect with them. The downside is, not only is that relationship not going anywhere, that when you talk to the next person, you carry over some of that negativity. And just like cancer, you're actually transferring some of that negativity into a good relationship, which you could possibly infect. And that stood there going, wondering... Why Steve Sims so negative today? You know, why is he so miserable? Maybe I won't take his phone call next time. Right. So the bottom line of it is, recognize those vampires. Recognize those cancerous cells within your family, community, business, and get rid of them. Replace so, them with people that are positive and energetic. I've heard this before by my father, actually. calls them psychic vampires. Yep. Whew. That's, I, you know, I am very surprised to hear this because... I got to tell you, I just have, I think my last show, I mentioned this about having negative energy and how even having negative energy is stifling to people around you as well as your own self. So this, this whole thing about when you come across somebody that's a vampire, God forbid, it's not you. And if you have a friend that is, is having vampire tendencies, sit them down, have a talk with them because you're right. It is a cancer. It's a, it's, and, and yeah. it, 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 I don't even know how to describe it. And to your children, especially, watch what you do to your kids when you come home after a bad day's work. Watch how that negative energy is, the ripple effect goes right into your family, and you are literally destroying your own family. So, this is such an important thing, Steve. You just hit the nail on the head. Man. Thanks, pal. Yeah. All right. So, lastly, before we go, thank you, by the way. That is fabulous. Email is dead, everybody. He says, you know, what's old is new again. Use the handwritten notes. Use other ways. Don't just get stuck on one thing. And then you just heard about vampires. My question to you is, besides motorcycle riding, where do you get, because I know you love motorcycle riding, where do you get your most joy? Because you're an entrepreneur. 
Do you know, the weird thing is, I'm not actually a, a very good sociable person, because as you already know, I'm 230 pound of ugly. Um, <laughs> You're not ugly. <laughs> but I get my energy from meeting people. I actually like meeting good people. Now, there's the tough caveat there. It's tough to find good people that are not trying to suck things from you. The more big fish you get in your little pond, the more people that are trying to grab you for your time, energy, connections. But when you meet good people, and I'm going to say it loud and clear, you're one of those people. And I remember the person that I was with when I met you, Greg Reed. There's another great person. Meeting good people is it's the energy, it's the battery, it's the fuel that excites the hell out of me. I would say that was my number one over drinking whiskey and riding motorcycles. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty heavy stuff. By the way, thank you. That was a very nice compliment. I really appreciate that. Um, Deserve it, pal. You're a yeah. solid boy. <laughs> thank you. You know what? Look, like you, I enjoy life. I'm searching constantly uh, for ways to improve myself and my life and your life and the lives of people listening to this show. Whether that's bringing guys like you to the air and talking about your new book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, helping them to understand that sometimes having a bucket of chutzpah and a black t-shirt and a pair of blue jeans and riding boots and a motorcycle is more valuable than all the Rolls Royce and Bentleys and Lamborghinis you can drive. Because people, then all they know is, who's that guy? And when you get off your motorcycle and... Uh, I, I like that. Who cares what cars you have in the garage? Really, what's your character like? Steve Sims, thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with your new book. Appreciate it. Thanks, and hard away for one. Yep. Best of luck. At the book again, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, will be available October 17th. You can find it on his website right now, stevedsims.com. This is Entrepreneur Radio. There's more. Stay with us. your host, Alan Taylor. So the other day, I, uh, I'm i buying a piece of property. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't follow the rules, all right? That's how it works. I just don't follow the rules. I saw the owner, and I'm like, hey, I'd like to meet him. Because I figure, you know what? Uh, what the heck, right? So I went right kind of a beeline. There's the owner, because the, the real estate guy says that's the owner. And I, was, I went right over to him. I don't know whether real estate people like that or not. I, it, it doesn't matter to me. I went over, I shook hands, started talking, started uh, just kind of a conversation, kind of wanted to have some kind of a relationship with this person just for for the heck of it. I don't know why. To, to me, relationships are very, very, very important. So we ended up making a deal. I had uh, the uh, real estate person, it took two days to put the deal together. They made the offer, and then I get the phone call. Oh, by the way, while we were putting this offer together, which don't ask me why it took two days. I know there was a reason, and I, I've helped, had to deal with that because delay. I like to stay on top of things. But it should have been done immediately. Timing is everything. Relationships are very valuable to me. This is the way I am. So somebody else put an offer in for $50,000 more on this building out of the blue. And so I was very disturbed because I thought, well, you know what? Had that offer been made quick, 
It would have been a deal. We would have made a deal because we agreed in theory face to face when I talked to him. And so then I was a little bit upset, but I thought to myself, hmm, you know, doggone it. So I got in my car and I went over there and there was the owner. And so I stood there and talked to him for a few minutes. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you know, I understand you have a different offer. I said, I'll up my offer a little bit. So I said, I'm going to have my uh, agent send you a new offer. And guess what happened? Even though my offer was not as much as the other person's offer, the guy took my offer. And he said, because I like you. He literally told the people, and he told me that, you know, he says, I, I like you. He says, I know we got another offer. He goes, but I like you. So to me, there's such a value in relationships, and I think this next guest may be able to you know, help us to understand a little bit more about the value of relationships and communication and you know, that, that eye-to-eye stuff. Tally Sharot, is, uh, she's the author of the book, The Influential Mind, What the Brain Reveals About Our Power to Change Others. The Effective Brain Lab at University College London. And uh, Tally, thank you for being with us. I wanted to tell that story a little bit because I am a very emotion, emotion-driven, emotional person. I like to look people in the eyes. I like to make my own deals. I like to not have it be clinical. And, and some deals are just so clinical. It's just the way it is. No, I like it to be, I like to shake a person's hand and smile at their face. So I don't know, you know, I'm not, I have not gotten your book yet. This is your second book, the first book you wrote. I want to hear about your first book, and then I want to talk about the second book, because I think it all leads into it. And we have a few, few segments here. So to me, this is interesting stuff. Tell us about mm-hmm. The Optimism Bias. This is your first book. Right. So The Optimism Bias is about this bias that humans hold, which is we tend, on average, to expect the future to be a little bit better than what it ends up being. And, for example, so people tend to think that they're not going to get divorced or when they hear that divorce rates are about 40%, they say, well, for me, it's about 0%. We tend to underestimate the likelihood of cancer, of other illnesses, and we tend to overestimate the likelihood of positive events happening to us in our lives, Mm. like professional success, like finding love. You know, we think we're going to get more money than we end up getting. And this is on average, of course, for not every single part of our life, but that's what we find on average in the population. So the optimism is about why does this happen? What exactly is happening in the brain that causes us to mispredict future events? What are the consequences of this? And is it a good or bad thing? And I'll give you a clue. It's a little bit of both. Mm. Well, so this is so interesting because you evidently now have some groundbreaking research that you've brought to the table in your new book, The Influential Mind. And I've always wondered, you know, how can there be, you know, how do we know this is such, I don't know, this is such stuff that it's hard. I mean, I I, I guess in today's day and age that there is a way of researching and coming to conclusions on things. So now that brings us now, and and, because I want people to understand a little bit about you as we go forward here, because you're writing these books that have some deep thinking going on here. The Influential Mind. Tell us about this groundbreaking research. So the Influential Mind is really about how people form beliefs, how we form opinions. Where do they come from? Um, why are they sometimes so difficult to change? But then other times we're so quick to change our opinions and our decisions when we hear what other people are doing. This is true offline and it's true 
online. And the idea behind it is, well, if we really understand the human mind, if we really understand how people think, we will be better able to communicate with people around us, mm-hmm. to give advice, to guide, right? I mean, we kind of go around this task without actually knowledge, but mostly with intuition. And sometimes our intuitions are fine, but sometimes they are wrong. And so we can really benefit from understanding the science behind the kind of things that people that do change people's minds and behavior and the, and the kind of things that don't really have much of an impact. Well, I, I notice here, I've got some notes here. Why is it so difficult to change opinions with data? Like the guy that made the offer, the data was he's offering more money. But mm-hmm. emotion seemed to play a part in this guy's decision, even though the data was there. The other offer was bigger and better, but he went with his emotions. Why? Mm-hmm. So data is really good for uncovering truth, and it's really important for science. It's also very helpful when you're trying to convince someone who already has a view that's similar to what you have. But it's not very helpful in a few situations. One is when you're trying to change someone's mind and he holds a very strong opinion. You know, you see this in politics, for example, or if you, you someone is going to take a financial decision and they're very confident in that decision and you're trying to, to tell them that that is wrong, data usually only has very small impact because what the person tends to do is they tend to disregard you or ignore you because they already have a strong belief in what they're going to do and they tend to rationalize it away. So that's one problem. Mm. And we call this priors. You know, we have beliefs. The other problem is that we believe what we want to believe. So that's the other thing, the desirability bias. And Mm. we can talk about it in our next segment. Yes, thank you. I have to take a little break here. The music is that uh, signal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Talking with uh, Tali Sharat and uh, the influential mind, what the brain reveals about our power to change others. Such interesting stuff, because I kept thinking to myself, why did the guy go with my offer? The emotional connection that I made with him. I believe that's it. I think it's so important to entrepreneurs. We'll be right back. Finish this discussion. It's Entrepreneur Radio. Entrepreneur Radio. Here's Alan Taylor. Well, we're talking with Tally Sherratt, PhD, author of the book, The Influential Mind. And I'm curious because this has to do with how we process information. And I'm curious, a lot of people, and I, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of shove us ahead in the conversation a little bit to stress. So many people, they, they, they walk through their day carrying you can see it on them. They're carrying baggage, and each hand has got a suitcase of stress, and they're carrying a you know an 800-pound monkey on their back of stress, and it affects them. So if we're looking at how the mind works and how this information you've gathered, talk to me about stress. Yeah, so there's two things to consider. One is actually how our stress affects other people's stress. So our emotions leak into other people very, very, very quickly. Even without us saying anything, I can, from your facial expressions, Mm. from how much you're sweating, from your tone of voice, I can feel 
your stress and it can make me stress. And this actually happens unconsciously and it happens for happiness as well. If people around us are happy, we're happier as well. It's because emotions actually carry very important information. If you're stressed, well, maybe there's a reason that I should be stressed too. If you're afraid, maybe there's some danger around and I should look around and, and protect myself. And this is why information leaks from one person to the other. So it's really important to take that, to kind of keep it in mind that if you're stressed, you're probably affecting everyone around you, people in the workspace, but even people just sitting next to you on the subway. And really to change other people's emotions and well-being, the best thing to do is change yourself first. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing to consider. The second thing to take in mind is that we find that when people are stressed out, they tend to become hypervigilant to any kind of negative news, bad news around them. They're much more likely to take bad news when they're stressed than when they're relaxed. In fact, when people are relaxed, they learn better from good news. So if I were to tell you, hey, uh, you're much more likely to get that promotion that you thought, or you're much more likely to sell your business for a large amount that you thought, people really take that and, and it changes their beliefs. And But when I tell you something that's unexpectedly negative, I tell you, you know what, I don't think you're going to get that promotion or you're less likely to get it than you think or you're going to sell this for less money than you thought. People tend to say no. She doesn't know what she's talking about. That's under relaxed states. Under stress states, people will listen to the negative. Even if they are stressed for a whole different reason. They could be stressed because something that's going on at home, they get to the workspace and they're much more likely to take in this negative information. So that's something to consider. Are you listening more to the negative because you're stressed? Is someone else, what is their mental state, and how their mental state is going to affect the information and advice that you're giving them? So if we talk about fear and anger and stress and all those kind of negative emotions, the opposite of that, obviously, is happiness and joy. Mm -hmm. And what do you think when people are given opportunity to expand their sense of control over their environment in their workplace, especially since we're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs here. I feel that, you know, I I try to empower my employees, say, you guys tell me what you think we need to do. And what comes out of them sometimes is amazing. I think that you give somebody trust and what comes back is love. Yeah. So it's interesting. So entrepreneurs, one thing that that has been found is that entrepreneurs tend to be more optimistic than the average population. And this makes sense because you need to be optimistic to start your own business, right? Right. But what studies show that's quite interesting is that not only are they more optimistic, they also become even more optimistic once they become entrepreneurs, right? So people who are more optimistic are more likely to become entrepreneurs. And then once they become entrepreneurs, they become even more optimistic. And optimism is very, very much related to a sense of control. So we talked before about how people have an optimism bias, but they also tend to believe they have more control over their environment than they actually do. And so because optimism and control are very much related, one reason people tend to be optimistic is because they believe they have more control over the environment. If I have control, I can steer the wheel in the right direction. I can make my my uh, project work. I can make you know my organization work better. So the two are related. So entrepreneurs also have this sense of control. Now, control, a sense of control and a sense that we have agency is really important for our well-being. 
the number one thing that the brain is trying to do is trying to control its environment so we can get our rewards and avoid harm. And people who have a sense of control, they tend to be happier. They tend to be also physically better, healthier, and also mental health is better. So it's a really good thing. And it's a thing that someone that people tend to want. We want to feel in control because it's good for us. And one way to um, change people's actions um, is actually to offer them control, to offer them a choice. So what we find is that if you give someone a choice, for example, you say, well, you can choose between these two projects. One is, let's say, one is in New York and one in London. You can choose. And when people make the choice themselves, seconds later, they are more motivated um, with the choice that they, they selected. I get so making it. a choice enhances motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the book is The Influential Mind. What the Brain Reveals About Our Power to Change Others. Effectivebrain.com website, and you can find a link there to The Influential Mind. Tally Sherrod, thank you very much. Very interesting stuff. All right. Coming up next, Chase Jarvis right here. He's going to answer your questions. It is Entrepreneur Radio. Stay tuned. There's more Entrepreneur Radio after these messages. Entrepreneur Radio. Here's Alan Taylor. Well, if you need a miracle, maybe we can help you. It's time for Chase Jarvis and the Daily Creative. Again, Chase is the co-founder of Creative Live, the world's leading online education platform for creatives and entrepreneurs. You can call this phone number and leave a question, and he may be able to answer it for you right here. 802-962-4357. And our question today comes from Joel. Joel wants to know that telling stories is important, both in photo and video. What is the best way to go about collecting other people's stories, Chase? In short, the question is, how do I tell stories? First of all, there are a couple ways to do it. You can be a documentarian or you can be a storyteller. And let's just come at this question for both. For example, if sometimes you're hired as a creative to create the story, you create the narrative about a product, you're asked to create the arc of a movie or a video, that's in your mind. So when you think of things in that world, it's about creating the the protagonist, the, you know, it's, it's very much the hero's journey. That's one of the ways that I like to think about writing a story. Like what, what are the challenges, you know, define the character. What are the challenges? Have you, you know, risen up and then fallen down and risen up and overcome some challenges. And then, um, if you're not familiar with the Joseph Campbell stuff, you should really look into it. That's the hero's journey. Um, and then the other side of that same coin is documenting and documenting whether you think it or not, you're still imparting your vision because you're the one who's you know behind the camera or behind the pen and you're deciding to make you know there's always editorialization of what words you're deciding to use that's an editorialization that's you imparting your opinion on the story but in a documentary world you're letting the person's life unfold, whether you're documenting them in front of a camera or you're again you're writing these are just two examples that I've latched onto I don't know why here. But storytelling has so many classic parts. It's sort of like a, 
uh, song. You know, there are pieces to a song or it's like a novel. There's a beginning, middle, and an end. And what I recommend is understanding what story is in the classic sense before, you know, knowing what the rules are before you start breaking them. So think about those things when you're either you're creating a story from scratch by a client's asking you or whether you're documenting someone. I think there's the belief that if you document someone that that is the story. But just remember that for every bit that you cut and paste and include and don't include, you are really shaping the narrative. It's sort of like statistics. You can get statistics to say anything you want. I would consider just working on the basics. And it's important, I believe, to have a point of view. That's the thing that as an artist you are asked to do, whether that's explicit or implicit. Um, Why someone would hire you, uh, let's just say, we'll go to photographer. Because if you're being hired just because you have a camera and a finger, that's the least awesome reason to be hired. More awesome is because you see the world in a way that would be really, you know, your past work indicates that you see the story, uh, the world in a way that would be helpful for this story, say someone wants to hire you. But having an opinion, this idea that you don't have an opinion and you're just documenting is fake. So therefore, if you do have an opinion, what is an opinion that you can have? What is the lens that you, this goes back to something I've said a thousand times, what is a piece of you that you could layer into this story, even though it's about somebody else, um, whether it's you know lensing or the the words that you choose or the arc that you choose to extrapolate from this person's life, say you're following around for six months to make a documentary. What is the lens that you can put? And sometimes the lens that you can put is helping people understand a subtle character. They they have this particular habit, and if you can highlight that in your say documentary film. The, the the viewer can, through your expose, through your positioning of pieces of creative back to back, then they'll say, oh my gosh, you know, this person, Sally, always makes the same mistake. She always gets too, in too deep and she makes too many bad choices and then she has to start over again or whatever the narrative is. But this idea that you don't put your point of view into your work is the thing that I see people um, mess up the most. So have a point of view. Take those classes or research those cats, uh, read Joseph Campbell and get back to me. Share with me a story after you're done doing what I prescribed right here. Send me a link. I would like to follow back up with you and you can tell me a story or show me a story that you created that you're proud of. Thanks, Joel, for writing in. If you want your questions answered on this show, here's what you do. You dial plus one if you're calling in from somewhere else, some other country, not the United States of America. Otherwise, 802-962-4357. That last bit does spell help. 802-962-4357. That's it. Thank you, Chase. Once again, that phone number, 802-962-4357. And you can also find Chase and everything he does at creativelive.com. We thank him for doing the daily creative and answering your questions right here on Entrepreneur Radio. See you next week. This program is copyrighted by Entrepreneur Media Incorporated.